0: All right, jerkoffs we're coming to you quietly with my quiet voice on uh, because at the moment it is 2 am in the morning. That's right, 2am. Uh, I need to I need to get this thing, this intro recorded because I'm about to fly to Estonia, I'm doing some gigs in Estonia. I don't know if you've got any friends in Tallinn but send them along. Uh, Actually, it might be be all over by the time this thing comes out, but yes, I'm waiting for a train to Luton Airport for a 6 a.m. flight, and it appeared to be easier just to stay up rather than go to bed, wake up. I had a gig late down at the Backyard Comedy Club, my favorite club where we do the Australia show, and I only got home around midnight, so I was like, screw it, let's do it, stay up. Until 6am when the flight is, oh, what a dream it's going to be. Rolling into Estonia, feeling like a million bucks. Um, But obviously one of the cool things about being in the UK is the fact that there are so many places nice and close by. And I'll be honest with you, I booked the Estonia flights maybe three weeks ago, maybe a month, I don't know. And it is £17 one way that's absurd that's 30 bucks 30 bucks to go to estonia to go like 11 countries across um and i mean i think my favorite bit is then tonight i booked the train to get to luton and that was 1760 so somehow <laughs> somehow the train to the other part of london actually cost more than the flight all the way to a foreign land, beautiful. That is budget airlines and privatised rail in operation. Got to feel good about that. Um, but no, I want to. I want to get into this episode. It's a very fun episode. It is with none other than Roe Campbell. Uh, if you if you're aware of comedy, you might still not know who Ro Campbell is, but. If you're in comedy, if you're a comedian, if you're a producer, if you're in the industry in any way, I guarantee you will know Roe Campbell. He is a man, he's a myth, he's a legend. He's originally from Adelaide in Australia and he now calls Edinburgh home. Well, I mean, he does get around a lot, uh, but I think Edinburgh would be considered his home base and it has been for a long time. Uh, the first time out of the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which obviously gets mentioned quite a bit on this podcast. The first time I did that, uh, I'd met Roe at the Adelaide Fringe and he was kinda like my my guide, my chaperone to Edinburgh. He runs a, he run, he ran a daily show in this in this pub called the Bannermans, which is this kind of grungy weird rock cave that suits Ro a hundred percent. He's got his jokes for the Bannermans that's how long he's been doing the gig there. he's got the jokes about the bathrooms he's got the jokes he knows how to set up the room he's got his little his little routine with the sound desk and he's got this loyal following of weird people who come and check out these gigs and cause he does know everybody some days the lineup there is fucking insane. I did that with people who like everyone else on the lineup been on TV. And it's a free show at 5.30 p.m. in a pub that looks like it should be closed down. Uh, But anyway, uh, he was telling me all the stories that year, all the stories, different entertainment things. So I'm very excited for you guys to hear this chat with him because like any chat with Roe Campbell, there are several anecdotes. There is absolutely no narrative to the thing. It's going to jump around a bit. I'll do my best to keep him on track, but that is difficult. Uh, but yeah check him out and just I want to thank uh, a couple of listeners the couple of jerk offs who came down to my album launch last week at 2 North Down Uh, that was really sweet of you it was a great show I got all my favourite London comedians to do covers of my jokes and they used that as an opportunity to make fun of me it was bloody great Uh, if you want to listen to the special or the album everything is released now If you are outside of Australia, grab it on iTunes. If you're in Australia, you can get the album on iTunes, but you need to get the video on either Amazon Prime or Vimeo. That's right. That's where you can get it. And if you like the pod, please do get in touch. MuggletonDaniel at gmail.com is my email. If you email me, I will reply uh, on Twitter at Dan Muggleton, Instagram at Dan Muggleton, or just message the Union Jack off page on Facebook. Um, i would love to hear from you and as always if you do like the podcast please tell people we're growing this thing this year 2019 is our year guys and if you tell one person about the podcast you love so secretly i'm sure they'll appreciate it anyway enough of that let's crack on with the very mysterious the mega bus rider the king roe Campbell. the preparation is done the notes are assembled cool ladies and don't, gentlemen don't mention the notes mate. why not the notes are mentioned that, mention was the, the notes. that was the start of the podcast this is, we've it's started just in
1: case there's any lulls you know I've got, got shit to talk I, about
0: I think anyone who's listened to any of these pods would know there's absolutely been not a single lull this entire okay well that's, we're, we're 16, who, uh, 16, who have you had on mate like 16 who's, been, episodes. who's
1: been the big guests? who's been your uh...
0: I mean I, I really I still am very fond of the episode with Mark Nelson mm-hmm. I enjoy that episode a lot that's good. So, I, oh, that's the
1: only one I've listened to, finally well, enough, because I was going to do the week after, or we were going to record an episode the week after. Yeah, and, and then, then it didn't happen, so I was listening to Mark. Obviously, yeah, Mark is a contemporary of mine, and we uh, started <laughs> at the same time and all that. So um, you know, I respect Mark as a comic and a person, etc. But. um so I listened to that one, uh, and I, I was—I actually took notes and feedback. Yeah, you took some feedback of that. Um, just, I did. I was no because there was a few. Th- I've actually still got some of the stuff written right down. Here. you got your notes. There was something that you said on that podcast just stunned, fuck, and amazed me. And uh, it should be uh, pointed out: How old are you? I'm 29 years old. You're 29. Okay, that—that's um, how old I was when I started. Really? Stand up. I'm 43, and you said. That none of your friends had ever seen Crocodile Dundee. None. And I was like, well, what are you fucking talking about?
0: Dude. You were like,
1: that's not even that big a film in Australia. And I'm like, mate, that was, that's a millennial fucking observation. It came out in 86, so you weren't born. That was huge. That was like, that's probably. In the top three memories I have of the cinema as a child, I still remember queuing for that (laughs) to go and see it at the local fucking what's it called? This old Victorian era uh, cinema in the suburbs of Adelaide, and um, you just you
0: remember the Dundee was a was was, a big was his big
1: film, yeah. It's a pretty shit. It's a shit cheesy mainstream film, and also you because you were discussing Train Spotting, and you were like that to Mark. Oh, what's you know, I guess Australia's train spotting would be like Crocodile Dundee or something, but I haven't even seen that. But I'm like, that's not Australia's train spotting. That's a completely, uh, that's the wrong... Australia's train spotting would be Stomper. I would say Stomper would be the... Right. Yeah, or or maybe Priscilla, something like like that. But like Stomper, what?
0: It wasn't supposed to be like indicative of like... Everyday Australian Well do
1: you think train spotting's everyday Scotland? But
0: I thought that's they were supposed to be like this no, is No, it's is just a microcosm. It's that
1: small world. What what's the Robert world stump? of that's people the... sticking needles in their arms. But
0: that rubber stump is the Russell Crowe one, right? Like the first the oh first Russell god. Crowe. T- please tell me you've seen it. I've never seen rubber stump. Oh my <laughs> god.
1: Dude, <laughs> what's going on with the youth of today? You, just, you, you've got the... so much access to this shit. I've
0: just seen the castle like five times. You don't even
1: have to go to Blockbuster anymore, it's probably on YouTube.
0: What do you mean it's probably on YouTube? It's definitely on the internet somewhere. And there's, it's impossible to go to Blockbuster. What do you mean you can't go to Blockbuster? Blockbuster that's doesn't a, exist. That's what I mean. It's over.
1: You don't have to. Well, you can't even. You can't, yeah, you can't yeah. If you wanted to,
0: yeah. If, even if I really wanted to go to Blockbuster. Uh, romper
1: Stomper, yeah. It's about, um, you know, racial, te- well, far-right fucking nutters in Melbourne. And hmm. and I suppose, if you call it ra- racism, racism. Racism. But that was a big, I, that was a very big thing at that particular time. It certainly was going on where I grew up in Adelaide. We had a fucking bunch of crazy... Yeah. Uh, right wing nut is called national action they had a leader his name was michael brander he was a fucking typical he was an immigrant too fucking born to a uh, spanish mother and yeah. they, they targeted me because my first girlfriend at university was a black african uh, exchange student Meki Meki kapunda from namibia finally getting and, a shout out um yeah that's weird <laughs> and, uh yeah and they 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 targeted me a few times man they caught they you know they used to call me fuck corner me at the uni campus and give me shit but i just thought they were all fucking goons you know
0: so that was what what year was this what kind of period we talking? Uh
1: 1994 that was
0: 1994 yeah. and now we've just had the i wasn't last- scared of michael
1: brand i used to fucking i was a bit scared of his goons because like anyone who follows you know they were, they were somewhat fucking loose cannons but looking back <laughs> they were like they were at adelaide uni you know what I mean? Right.
0: They were university students. I don't know these if they words.
1: all were university students, but they used to hang around there because the Adelaide Uni bar used to have sixty cent pots. Sixty cent. Yeah. So like wow. you, that used to attract a rough element. And Michael Brander <laughs> was doing like a PhD in Hitler or something.
0: Right. Right. So and, he was um, taking it real serious.
1: Yeah, and he was older. He was probably like late twenties. So he had these dudes that used to follow him around. Yeah. And uh, you know, and I attracted this rappers, you know, small campus as the. Uh, you know, well, I don't want to say it on air, but they used to call me, you know, someone who liked black people, basically.
0: Ah, um, okay. And and that was followed. That was that included a racial slur. I assume that title.
1: Yeah, and they used to have these little rallies, and then the, it, it, I mean, it all peaked. There was two major violent incidents in Adelaide that involved National Action. One was where they ran down Rundle Mall, just bashing anyone of colour. Yeah. Um, prob. I bet they didn't touch any um indigenous people because they had a fucking beaten seven shades of shit out of them but just <laughs> picking on old Asian women or whatever probably jeez. and then no. I was in a pub I was in the Crown and Anchor which you might know if you've been to I know the, the Crown and Anchor yeah the Cranker it's called now and it has comedy there as well and that, that pub hasn't changed much in my life and it's kind of punk rock pub and, and they got kicked out of there because they didn't want racists in there and they came back in with metal bars jumped the started so smashing all the staff over the heads and I was in there when that happened oh jeez and we were on the news and stuff yeah right so, so
0: there were actually some some flare ups. It wasn't just yeah. Rhetoric. I know they
1: were capable of violence, but I saw Michael Brander and his mum having um, lunch once in a in a restaurant in Adelaide, and I just stood at the window and fucking eyeballed him, and I just thought, fuck it. What what
0: does he do now? Is he just, just don't know? To, just can you look do? it up if you like. No, I don't. I don't, I don't like the lookup. I don't. Okay. Like
1: I can, oh, I, I, can put, it. I can put I can put in the end notes. That's the thing. I, love just, it. I like. You'll never understand what it what it, what it was to have to go to a library to answer well, questions. This, so. this is
0: what, Yeah, I, I do think about this often because like you know I think of myself as like not an unintelligent dude, but if I don't have Wi-Fi and someone else has Wi-Fi, they're immediately smarter than me.
1: Well, not necessarily. So they are. They
0: got the they got the access to everything. You know it doesn't I mean? make them smarter. Nothing. It
1: just um, it means they've got more access to the knowledge. They wouldn't need it if they were smarter. They wouldn't need the knowledge just remember. Well, they, well, they wouldn't need to look it up, would they? That's but, true. Uh, I'd be curious. That Michael Brandon now at a guess. Um, I, I'm dying to look it up. <laughs> um, fuck knows. You're looking, um, looking train
0: spotting here, just scratching away at yourself. You I want mean, to know. who knows? He you might know. have.
1: He's either seen the light. You know what? A guy like Michael Brandon might have. Realise that he's a fuckwit and now like works with fucking Rwandan orphans or something.
0: He could, but that narrative or, rarely plays or out. Or he
1: manages a call centre in the Philippines.
0: <laughs> I know a lot uh, of loose units who ended up at call centres in the Philippines managing. They get a mm. lot of money for that,
1: I like way more, a as well.
0: way more than we'd make. They we mm. fucking oh, kill it over there. Yeah, it's crazy. It's absurd. Um, I don't know why. I don't know why racists make such good call centre managers, but you know, I might go isn't a racist. It was just a lunatic. Yeah. Like that proper kind of like that guy at the pub who like will throw something like if oh, it, if it if it, if it could if, if if a certain series of events occur, this man won't hesitate in throwing a chair
1: well, that's who you need supervising <laughs> fucking three hundred people that but you'd listen to him yeah, yeah you listen <laughs> it was a, it was a big
0: boy so this is like Adelaide in the nineties that had that i I just don't. I mean,
1: I guess maybe that's just... actually that's. Um, uh, I'm going to do this a lot, right? Yeah, because but but talking about the '90s, I think um, you were talking with Mark Nelson. Mark Nelson is a total <laughs> no, because this podcast is about UK Australia, isn't it?
0: Uh, it's it's about coming to the UK from different Commonwealth countries and also a bit of Australia. Okay, well, I don't
1: know if you've heard how much British people of my age, especially 40 and over. Mm. Fucking worship the nineties, right? They just love the like Mark Nelson loves the nineties, yeah. so much. Those dudes all love the nineties, but their nineties was way different to Australia's nineties. Right. When they talk about nineties, they're talking about Britpop, Oasis versus Blur, all that kind of yeah. shit, right? And um, and our nineties was more Seattle grunge, Pearl Jam, Nirvana. Uh, plus the rock, you know, Guns and Roses, all that kind of shit. I know that those bands had followings here as well, but that was more. It was just a different kind of a nineties, and we obviously Australia's always got its own domestic thing going on. Uh, I mean, we obviously like. I'm an Oasis fan. I fucking I, I brought back a burned copy on cassette of definitely maybe when, um, <laughs> you know, ninety fourth. Can you I, I can you burn
0: a cassette? Is that is that what yeah, it was called back it, in the no, day? Tape it. Yeah, tape it, there, there you it, go. Tape, tape on tape. Yeah. yeah I was so, going to be like Jesus. I thought we burned CDs and the a cassette you just re-record. You record but, but, again. You double. I
1: always explained to like my British mates like being an Oasis fan in Australia was so much different because we didn't have all that culture around us. You were kind of mm-hmm. isolated listening to that music but we didn't have the whole scene that kind of scene with the hair and the club i remember my mate he grew his hair like oasis and got the jacket yeah just someone in adelaide club just put a bottle over his head for looking like a fucking british cunt you know (laughs) like that was seriously (laughs) serious it was that simple yeah
0: well but the thing i thought with the 90s and oasis versus blur is like here i didn't realize how big blur was until i kind of came here for the first time because i don't think blur kind of hit oasis were at least a bit closer to that of grungy thing than Blur, who was like, Well,
1: always just had swagger and attitude, and, yeah, you know. Where, um, whereas
0: Blur was like that kind of, you know, not like, not but, pretentious but you're, you're, English band, but like,
1: real digi fucking red blooded Australian type thing in the 90s. Um, they they didn't go for oasis because there was that thing that you know poms were pussies and all that kind of thing right they they wouldn't have gone whereas over here tough dudes were into oasis that's what i thought yeah it was tough dudes i mean holy fuck i went to oasis's second ever last uh live gig because my mate was on tour with them and i got triple a passes to see them at heaton park in manchester in whenever their last gig was it was about 2010 or something um and that was just so crazy, man. It was like fucking tens of thousands of forty-plus-year-old manks, some of whom looked like they just got out of jail, didn't know the nineties were over. <laughs> and like everyone was just off their. F- I didn't drink for six weeks after that gig because the sight of all those dudes who hadn't stopped taking drugs and how fucked they were <laughs> just it, it shocked me, man. It shocked
0: me. You scared straight. That's f- what. That's I what was happened. scared straight.
1: they yeah, they they're hardcore fans. Are hardcore. Yeah,
0: but like. Yeah, Blur. Blur is the pretentious one, right? Blur is like the kind of London, like southern Oxbridge yeah, vibe, and right? All that. Yeah, yeah. a bit
1: more. Uh, yeah,
0: that's that's like the vibe. Damon Albarn. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we should make it clear that I'm, talk, I'm talking to I'm talking to Roe Campbell, and the reason that he's right. bringing up music so much is because he used to be a roadie. Oh, I don't know if that's why I'm bringing up music. Well, I mean, it's been like heavy on the music so far. You've basically just been well, like it's a this Well, it's a
1: big thing in cultural difference. I was just talking about the 90s. So, you know, if you're talking about the difference between the 90s um, in Britain and Australia, yeah, I just, I was just saying that the music part, you know, music is a big part of life in general, isn't
0: it? So do you, do you reckon the 90s like the peak British like decade? You don't I have mean... to have
1: been a roadie to... Like I know a million people who are fanatic about music who weren't roadies. Oh no, I
0: know, but actually. like I think I, I like I like the the way that you talk about music is definitely kind of roadie. It involves the stadium, it involves the thing, it involves the type of ticket. You know? You've oh got yeah, yeah. In this well, way,
1: I'm definitely looking at. I'm always looking at the lighting rig first. out <laughs> <Just getting, laughs> the Fuck and, they do?
0: That? And enjoying that. But so what? Do you reckon like '90s was like the peak kind of British decade? Obviously, since since the Empire, since the good old days, it was like '90s like peak Britain.
1: Well, you gotta put it in the context of 60s was still pretty uptight then sexual revolution then 70s was punk Mm. no i think 70s was 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 like for a lot of the older 70s in britain was crazy but but then at the same time there was like all the other things like there was poverty and things were quite tough in the 70s but that would have been pretty amazing to be in the punk rock scene in yeah in britain in the 70s and of course acdc pretty much came up they came up at the same time as Sex Pistols. Um, so they were actually right. considered punk rock at the time. Um, and then, you know, and then 80s was all that fucking weird glam rock shit. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but 80s, you had Thatcher and the fucking Miner's Strikes and all that kind of stuff, um, which was – and then I think they came out of it. So 90s, I think, was probably – I wasn't here, man, but 90s was a time of, you know, slightly more prosperity combined with the – the uh, youth culture, sort of. So oh, and of course, night like beginning of the nineties was when ecstasy really hit, and yeah. that changed the attitude of a lot of people in Britain because they had that whole football hooligan thing and fucking in the in the eighties going on. And then I think from everyone I know who was a part of it, that when the ecstasy come in, a lot of that violence shit faded away. And right, um, people just listened to into fucking hugging each other. And why? Why do we hate each other? Put on tracksuits so and listen to dance music. But I think there came a point, like you know, fast forward another ten years, and then and then. And then they learned how to bash each other on ecstasy. <laughs> takes time. I think there's a bit of a... That hooligan shit always comes back.
0: Yeah, you think there's... I mean, that's... If you look at Australia, like, um, there was just the race riots in Melbourne on the... Well, I wouldn't I, really call it, it a like, race riot. It was, yeah, it
1: was small. It was like an Instagram it was, riot. <laughs> Instagram riot? Like, if you take the photo from the riot, yeah, you and had it, had a it bunch seems of, like a riot. You had a bunch of uh, neo-Nazi fuckwits. Mm. who Down probably also Jordan. worship the anzacs so that's there's a contradiction immediately that's how fucking <laughs> dim they are that they love the anzacs who fought the nazis and they also love the nazis um and yeah there was a but it wasn't i wouldn't really call that right ra- australia's had a lot of race rights over the years
0: was, i just meant for um it's almost 10 years or just over 10 years since crinola because that was that was when i was young i oh, guess right. like yep. 17 i think it was or Cronulla, 16 i was down yep. at the beach like the day before one of my mates was like half lebanese half italian right and the guys there were just like oh you might want to get out of here yeah like this thing's happening tomorrow because like the text went around and shit and they lived in Cronulla, so they got the message oh, kind of right. thing is it do you not know kind of oh, i know that, how Cronulla. yeah, yeah. I, know, I do
1: know that's i mean that that was a it was a fairly major um Event in terms of... I think that's when the Southern Cross tattoo changed. Because I've got one, man. I'm, oh, I'm you've like, got a Southern Cross tattoo. And I got it years ago, 20 years ago. Yeah, and now and, it's uh, very different. And from that point onwards, I, th- I feel like the Southern Cross became appropriated by um, by racist nutters in much the way that the Hindu swastika got appropriated. So
0: Yeah, you're like... Just one of those Hindus, got in there early. Yeah. Um, Hindu pre-1933 and now look at you.
1: There was probably some fucking hippie German came back from uh, Goa in 1933 going, it means peace and love and they're like, <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> um, Strong German accent. Yeah, so though. I got my fucking, uh, I, I, my Southern Cross is colored in now to Aboriginal colors, but uh,
0: Really? Okay, just to kind of- That just confuses it. I think everyone. that's called like
1: style it out, just styling out yeah. the Southern Cross tattoo. It Just confuses like, the racists and the uh, indigenous people. Nobody knows. Who's Sajir on? So, yeah, Cronulla. Yep. Um, there's been a lot of... There was a whole series on TV uh, in Australia about the Australian race riot. Really? Yeah, it's an interesting history. I mean, the first major ones were... Uh, happened in the 1850s with the Chinese at the Goldfields. Mm. And then uh, probably again... Oh, there's a whole, there's a whole bunch of really interesting ones. There was a really crazy one at Kalgoorlie, man, in Western Australia, between like Skippy Aussies or Anglo-Celtic Aussies. We call some people call them Skippies and the like Croatian and Yugoslavian dudes and that was like a full on shootout war in Kalgoorlie that was fucking nuts well, is this like over oh, like, maybe 1920s 1930s right was this because
0: like, of the like well, Kalgoorlie is that opals no what's, what's Kalgoorlie gold gold right It was just uh, co- cause yeah, of that I, don't, I don't
1: know what I can't remember what the, uh, the factors were behind it but just straight up straight up kind of racism at the end of the day another crazy one was the Brisbane riots which happened with the American soldiers and, and there was some weird thing there well A like there was like 100,000 American soldiers in Brisbane mm. and they were pissing off all the locals uh, the local men cuz yeah. they were flash and they had a bit more money and they dressed nice and and the women all loved them cuz that you know they weren't fucking boring <laughs> Queensland <laughs> rednecks and um but but but, but uh, and then the, the tempers started to flare with these flash yanks stealing all the Aussie birds yeah and then and then there's a weird fucking there's this weird crossover thing where the, and I think they use this as an excuse. But of all people in the world, the Brisbane dudes got offended that the Americans were segregating their blacks. What? And um, and so yeah, and all the unions and that got involved because like it was something like the the black guys weren't allowed to you know that basically they were treating the black soldiers different in the U.S. military, and the a lot of people in Brisbane claim that they were offended by that, which is obviously hypocritical given that, um, Brisbane's treatment of Indigenous people. They've got. Well, I notice you live on Boundary Street here. I do, yes. Well, in Brisbane, Boundary uh, Street is the street where, after which, Aboriginal people weren't allowed to enter that part of the city. Oh, right. Uh, this is so, back in the day. Yeah. So, and I think that went up until the seventies. But anyway, so there was a there was a huge riot that ended up happening in Brisbane between Australian soldiers and American soldiers, mm. and people died,
0: right. and
1: and quite a lot, and a couple of hundred injured as well, and um, that had a racial. That had a racial no, element to it. That bizarrely was the Australians sticking up for the African Americans, but I think there was th- that was a bit of an excuse. Right. They just didn't like Americans in general, and that ha- those kind of things happened in a few American cities, Australian cities. Um, that you can't underestimate the effect that the huge American presence during the war in America had.
0: Yeah,
1: and um, and that's why I find it ironic that now Australia leans more heavily towards america for its culture because we used to lean towards britain and now fucking everything's going american but there was a point where we couldn't fucking stand the yanks because also the americans used to boast that they saved america from the japs um the I'll japanese australia from the japanese yeah yeah and yeah. they used to fucking boast about that and act like it was all them and that pissed the australians off because you know many of them had fought in and- papua new guinea yeah. and malaysia and all that kind of shit and they're like who the fuck do these cunts think they are <laughs> and um and they also because they the australians thought that they were better soldiers than the americans you know they considered the americans fucking all show no go right um and uh um you know that there, there was several oh that's why we call them sepoys, mate
0: Sepo. you yeah. finally got the origin of the term
1: sepo. Yeah. why is
0: that do you know
1: what a SEPO... Do you know what SEPO stands for? Absolutely not. You're aware that Australians call American SEPO. I'm aware that Australians call American SEPO. you don't, I don't know had what no it comes from. I had no idea why. Fuck. The etymology of SEPO, it's short for septic tank. Right. Septic tank, yank, full of shit. Right. And go. it's
0: all the way down, a SEPO. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Look at this. Finally, you know. finally, someone on this podcast... Knows the etymology of something? <laughs> oh fuck! Heard, I love etymologies. No, I've had Adam point. Rowan here. Like, where where do scouts come from? Didn't know. Had Lauren Patterson. Like, why why are people called Geordies?
1: Didn't know. That's disgraceful.
0: Look, I know. Uh, but Geordie... you're you're like you're like a buff for this stuff. You I like don't know it.
1: why I don't know why they're called Geordies. I know why Sunderland Sunderland people are called Mackems. Why are they called Mackems? Because they make the boats. They would make the boats. Right. And I think the Geordies would fucking. Please, can we look up what, why people are called Geordies? No, I've looked up the thing with Geordies. Uh, it's like, so, so Mackham is like we Mack the boats, yeah. And then I guess in, it, it, in it's, Newcastle it's, they put him in the water for Newcastle
0: life. Oh, I can't believe it. It kind of escapes me a little bit, but it is it is to do with like the name George, like like a oh, lot of people they were like, called like, right. George, and then like Geordie. Oh, okay, it was right. it was yeah, yeah. it was that. It's there's something more specific that I'm oh, missing, right. but that's, that's
1: it. Yeah, okay. Because I've met a few Geordies, and I always thought they were called Geordie because they were from. Geordie land, but maybe that, that was actually their name. Yeah.
0: So there you go. I got I got some stuff. I've been doing this part a little while now. I'm getting okay. some knowledge. Good stuff. So when, when when do you think was the, you said Australia shifted towards American culture rather than British. When do you think that shift was? Like what what was the kind of defining, well not defining, but just like. I mean, we, it's
1: gradual. Yeah. Like um, there's, there's been little things like, I mean, the Americans have been in, coming to America, uh, to Australia. Since the gold rush in the 1850s. So I think we picked up baseball from them, like, because baseball was very big in Australia in the turn of the century, right up until the 80s. And mm. then it turned to die. Because I grew up in a baseball family. My dad and my grandfather played, and I played baseball. So, you know, there's always been an element of, and obviously with the movies, movie culture and all that kind of thing, and and, and music as well. I just say they're um, they're
0: dominating entertainment just meant that we get more of the culture. But we
1: took a lot more from Britain, you know, like tons of, you you even listen, like 1950s, 60s, broadcasters in Australia all spoke in faux BBC fucking (laughs) British voices and all that kind of thing. So I don't know, I guess around about the 80s or or something like that. I mean, Mm. um, I mean... You know, in the 70s, Australia had a fairly lot of influence. You know, it was give and take. Australia sent a lot of exports over this way. Yeah. Your likes of Clive James, Jermaine Greer, you know, all these, dare I say, Rolf Harris, you know, all these fucking, uh, Dame, uh, uh, Barry Humphreys. Yeah. Be one of the biggest, you know, comedy characters of all time. You know, they fucking love, love Dame Edna over here.
0: Yeah. And it seemed like we had a kind of renaissance after that with like, the second wave of comedians like Kitty Flanagan, Steve Hughes.
1: Is that what they call it? The Brendan wave?
0: Well, that's what that's what I call it. Because like, when when like I kinda started watching comedy in like the two thousands and stuff, there were a lot of there seems to be a lot of Australian people who were based here. Or like since then I've seen them kinda come back Well, like, I'd that, say that, that prop- was like a mark of quality well, if they've come from here back to Australia or an Australian who's come here. That's almost like that's almost like a tick in the box, you know? It's like yeah, this guy's been through the well, UK.
1: well, that's the thing. That seemed – because, well, I don't know. I don't know how many Australian comedians chose to try and make it in America in the in the eighties, but uh, but um, you know, because I started here, man. So, like, I always thought, oh yeah, this is where you come. But obviously, now there's lots of Australian comics that go to America. Yeah. So I say, I'd say you either choose one or the other. Most people do. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go to America, or I'm going to go to Britain. And the th- the attraction with Britain was back when I started. That here, if you got decent, you, there was the living to be made, like a decent living to be made quite quickly, mm. um, which has become harder, which is which, which sucks. Whereas in America, <laughs> it was more the long game, wasn't it? Like it, it was hard grafting away, making fifty dollars a gig. But if you had success in America, then it then, then it's big success. Like right, not that that's happened for that many dudes. The,
0: the the ceiling's that the much Jim, higher in yeah, America. You know,
1: like like Jim Jeffries went over. He he grafted here first. He had the he could have just done that forever just been a mm. top level headliner doing the comedy store and shit like that and stayed here but he, yeah. he went for the fucking biggest possible thing and he achieved it you mm-hmm. know getting a talk show and all that that's like pretty fucking nuts um but but yeah i think it was easy it was easier to just uh, graft away here and, and be a club comic um which is which has gotten a lot harder mm-hmm.
0: and you but you started here did you come here for the purpose
1: of nah. no no what, i just what... got the idea once i was here
0: what what brought you here what 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 took the man from Adelaide? So where'd you, where did you go first?
1: Uh, Oh shit. I, um, I feel like we've, we've gone on so many tangents here, but that's all right. That's okay. Uh, I left Adelaide. I'm here to rope you back in. I mean, I I was in Adelaide till I was about 20. Yeah. Then I moved to Northern Territory, uh, and lived at the, um, Central Australia well all but it was called airs rock resort i worked at the airs rock resort
0: what were you doing at the airs rock resort just like working in kitchens kitchens okay
1: yeah and
0: uh, you do have a good short order cook appearance i was like, like that. a
1: cook and a yeah and a kitchen hand and a, yeah i do loads of shit there worked in the bakery um and that was it was a pretty fun year really had dirt, <laughs> dirt bikes and took acid and rode dirt bikes in the desert on our days off and shit um got to know indigenous (laughs) people and yeah and then i left there after about a year and a half went to fucking india for like almost a year rode a motorbike around there i I don't think i've ever had more money than when i left as rock i saved so much money there man really just
0: living enjoying the enjoying the life working a lot not spending a lot
1: yeah exactly right and um just what yeah that's right and then man. India for a year yeah, almost a year I bought a Royal Enfield motorcycle rode that round Northern India with my friend, spent a lot of time in Nepal as well end up teaching English in a little village in the Himalayas for three months that was pretty crazy and it was like <laughs> it was just bonkers man because like the headmaster of the school was a total pothead. Like we just fucking smoke weed and hash all the whole day (laughs) teaching these kids fucking boozing every night. It was like this tiny village, no electricity, nothing fucking three hours walk from the nearest road. And, and, but we were just like bombed out of our heads most of the time. But um, (laughs) But it was quite fun these, as well. These
0: kids got a quality education. Oh,
1: well, they got fucking, it was better than anything else that was going around. <laughs>
0: uh, and then, Wait, and how, then, how do you, how do you get a job like that? How do you, this the thing, I know to someone like you, I'm sure that doesn't seem particularly strange, but like for regular people, you don't just end up teaching English in a village. In I met world. some
1: posh English dudes. Uh, I met some posh English guys in Kathmandu who were like doing the, you know, organized gap year thing, which right. I didn't even know was a thing back then. And, they were telling me, oh, yes, we've been up in the mountains teaching English and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, that'd, that'd be cool. And they were like, oh, we they'd paid like five grand or something to an agency. And they were like, it's a load of shit, man. You could literally just walk up there. Yeah. And the, and then the one of these guys goes, listen, there's this village, the next village down from where I was working. And the guys build a new school, like a little private school, basically. Yeah. And, um, you know, you could probably go there. And back then there was no internet, fucking no phones, nothing. I literally just got the place on the map, fucking made my way there. It took me like two days, got there, walked up there. I was like, Lekamani Adikari, that was his name. And he, and, um, he said, Yes. Yeah. So I said, Oh, I met this guy. He said, You need a teacher. And he goes, Welcome. And I fucking <laughs> lived in his house <laughs> for the next three months. And he's like, Every morning he fucking knock on the door, uh, Rowan, sir. Yeah. It, 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 no shit, man. It would be like 10 to 5. Here we go, Rowan, sir, you must wake up. It is very late. (laughs) I'd be like, it's fucking 5 a.m. And then I'd be like, yeah, I'm getting up. I'm getting up. You know, fucking roosters crowing and shit. And then I'd still be lying there. And then he'd knock me again. Rowan, sir, you must get up. It is very late. Yeah. I'm not doing a racist accent, guys. Relax. These brutes are crazy. I'm just fucking doing what how he actually sounded, you know. And then um, these fucking <laughs> just a little cat, little cat ca- if, if you discuss race in this country, it's called racism. It's like no, that's not what racism is. Trust me. We're I grew, Australian. I grew we up know. in South Australia in the eighties, mate. Fucking, <laughs> I've witnessed proper racism. Yeah. Well, you just you just told me about it. Yeah. Oh fuck! I've, I, that's not even half of it. And, okay. Um, Dude, I was fucking uh, sit on a Greyhound bus in 96 coming back from the Rock on Adelaide. The Greyhound bus lady comes up to me and goes, "Do you mind sitting next to a coon. And I was just like, what the fuck? No, I I was like, I couldn't fucking... I said, are you fucking right? She said that at the top of her voice in front of everyone.
0: Yeah. You know?
1: That's nuts. So you can bleep that out if you want, but whatever. That's that's what she said. For anyone
0: unaware, that is a racial slur. Yeah, I well, it's it, a racial it slur here as
1: well. Oh, yeah. yeah I
0: forgot. I thought nice. that was our thing. I mm-hmm. thought that was one of one of the Australian no, only slurs. No. You no, know, the
1: B word would be more specifically yes, Australian. Yes, that would be that one. We but anyway, one. let's not go through them all. Um, what, uh, why was I saying that? Where did I get on to that?
0: Look, talking about racism in the 90s in South Australia? Well, then,
1: no, but I was in fucking Nepal or something. You were.
0: You were talking about waking up real early, getting woken up. Oh, okay. At How did five, I get
1: from that onto racism?
0: Look, I don't know. You jump around yeah I do I'm doing, I'm doing the best I can to keep you focused but we'll, we'll see don't um, worry we've got, we've got the power to edit I can just get you steamrolling okay, again okay
1: okay uh, I'll just fucking fuck knows how I got from that to that I was talking no, about you, you were just talking about doing the, the accents school. you were
0: saying the accent and then you were saying that's real racism and then you gave oh an that's right yes 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 you gave I was an doing an example of real racism yeah
1: Lekamani Adikari so he'd wake me up at 5am 5, 5 and then I'd finally get up and his room was adjacent to mine he didn't sleep with his wife and uh well, they and had then he'd separate go- rooms? Yeah, they had separate rooms. In oh. it, like to old school traditional, like it was very much like a Tudor house actually, but an old house made out of Watland Daub and big wooden beams crazy those old um, Nepalese fucking village houses it was an amazing experience lived there three months it was fucking it was crazy just no noise like just the only noises are just like birds fucking animals people but no vehicles no electricity nothing well,
0: like no, vi- no, no motorcycles nothing
1: no there's no roads mate it's an, right. on a fucking on a mountain oh okay yeah 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 those kids had never seen a bicycle it was, it was crazy weird <laughs> went from india to um and nepal to here i came here in 98 i lived in edinburgh as a backpacker Wait, so
0: you you got to england in 98 or just the uk in 98? i did i arrived
1: in england completely penniless uh, i caught the uh, uh, ferry over from fucking belgium or oh, well, netherlands mm. and um i spent my last 10 i didn't realize it was my last tenner on the ferry and then I got to Dover. I literally got off in Dover. Like I didn't even have a book or a a bus or anything booked. You went to the ATM, ate my card.
0: Oh wow. First
1: night. And I arrived, I I arrived the day after, England got knocked out by Argentina and David Beckham got red carded and sent off, right? Oh and shit. So yeah, it was the weirdest thing for the net. for the first few weeks I was in England, like David Beckham was the like the number 1 villain in England. Everyone hated him cuz he'd kicked this dude and got yeah, red yeah, carded yeah, yeah, and yeah. they thought it was his fault that they lost and and I I arrived basically the next day and um yeah, I spent my first night I was in Dover penniless on a Saturday night and I was like holy fuck what am I going to do, you know? There's no I, I didn't have I slept in a hedge in a church I slept in a hedge. <laughs> well, like I slept in a churchyard in a in a book because I thought, well, that's the safest place, you know.
0: Churchyard, And good. I could just
1: hear all the chaos of, you know, cunts bashing each other on a Saturday night in an English small town. And okay. then in the morning, I... Um, Wait,
0: is there is there like more violence in the small towns? Is this... Yeah.
1: What? Yeah, there's nothing to do.
0: So are they just... Haven't
1: getting, you been to small English towns on Saturday nights?
0: Yeah, but I, I'm doing I'm doing the gig and then I'm getting on a train oh, or a bus. Oh, well, you know
1: what I mean? Yeah, all these small fucking places. They no, just... but I, I do also, but, a... by the way, it was a bit different back then. This is 20 years ago when yeah. every pub shut at 11. Oh. Or 10. What? 10. 10. I think what? they shut at 10. What, in the small towns or? Everywhere, everywhere in England. Even in all London. pubs shut at 10, yeah. 10 p.m.? Yes. Regardless. Everywhere, mate. Why? It was crazy, man. That's why there was so much fighting, I reckon. And, and then you had to go to a nightclub. And the fights uh, broke so out the, the, the fights squig. broke out between okay. the period of leaving the pub and going to the club. Right. But a lot of people didn't go to club you know, a lot of people just binge drank before that ten PM bell. Right. I'm pretty sure. What Scotland and England there was an hour difference and I can't remember which one was which. One shut at a ten and one shut at eleven. And,
0: and then I, that was that was it for the pub. You still get takeaway alcohol like you can now? No, 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 no,
1: no. You still can't in Scotland.
0: I know that's in Scotland, yeah, but in, in England you can. You can get
1: you know, I don't think you could back then it's yeah. so, and that's mainly London where it's so lax man right okay because um, yeah
0: like, I know in Scotland like after 10, 10 pm you're fucked you get so that's the same, same as Sydney Interesting.
1: and there's no one it's so funny because you know like in London that's not the law in London but there's always someone willing to break it um, there's always some fucking bad Muslim willing, willing, willing to break it
0: what do you mean just um, like <laughs> <your> <laughs> um,
1: lovely generalisation oh, no, no I'm just kidding <laughs> yeah,
0: but there's no but just like what
1: that, I don't think they're legally allowed to sell like off-licenses yeah I don't think that's legal. Get out of here. I don't think it's legal. But they're not sneaky they about it. it. It's just like, here's the alcohol. You go grab it. I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not... I'm pretty sure legally they're not meant to. I would love to know. We're gonna have to, that's another thing I'm going to look up and at the end of this. But, uh, but no one breaks that rule in Scotland. Right. You just don't get no one doing that. Okay. And then... Uh, so, yeah. So, so I um, blah, blah, blah. I woke up penniless in a hedge. But and wait, when did and, the pub thing shift? I'm curious about this. Oh, that shifted like some sometime. I think it started to change early noughties, man. I see. I came back here. I lived here as a backpacker for almost a year again, 98, um, in Edinburgh, just doing shitty jobs. And um, I held the golf sale sign on Prince's Street for fucking four months in the winter. That was brutal.
0: What, you're a sign spinner?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm a sign holder. Yeah, I oh, was man. a sign holder. Did you, did you do the spinning or were you lazy? Yeah. I know, mate, I'll tell you, in Scotland, fucking in the middle of winter, you got adept at many moves, man. But mainly <laughs> like, because you, you know forced fucking 12 gales and shit. That sign was dangerous. Big fucking plank of plywood on a stick. Right. Um. Yeah, you had to have various ways to pull that down in a hurry and you know those signs would snap quite often we had to wire it to the you know the metal fence thing at the side of the footpath because and then you were just like it was like being on a sailing ship or something you put all your weight onto that post and then a gust of wind could snap it right I almost fucking killed people with that sign man it was Really, one of the fucking most dangerous jobs i've ever done it's nuts no, not why why serious. did they want you out there fuck knows it worked got people in, yeah, got the, plenty of golf sales yeah it's gone now but yeah we. I didn't have a work visa and it was 35 quid a day cash in hand so that's um, and then right. I end up leaving that job I fucking I, I've, oh, anyway crazy story but yeah he docked my wages 10 quid on Christmas Eve because I because I was a little bit late because I was unwell and I was expecting a bonus and I fucking I was so enraged when I opened my pay packet and it was 10 light on Christmas Eve yeah. after 4 months of you know fucking reliable service um that I walked out the door I looked, and I thought, nah, fuck this cunt, you know. Went back up the stairs, pulled a golf club out of one of the sets and I just went fucking charging in there with it. I went, give me my fucking money, cunt. <laughs> right, and he shit himself, man. <laughs> and fucking, he was like, don't ah, hit me. Yeah. And fucking g- gave me the other tenor and um, that was it. I never went back. <laughs> Sometimes you got to fucking do what you got to do, man. I mean, just
0: going in there with a golf club, it's like poetic justice. Fucking hey man, he
1: shit himself. With I thought
0: awesome. I thought when you were like, I grabbed a golf club, like, he's gonna steal this golf club and then sell it for 10 quid. Many, <laughs> right many now.
1: years later, that was my first proper stand up bit was talking about doing the golf sale sign because I started doing stand up in Edinburgh, you know what I mean? Yeah, and that's but where I started. This, is this sign like well known, the golf sale sign? Yeah, I, it was extremely well known in Edinburgh. It was like, it was an icon of Edinburgh because it was, and also there was one in London as well on Oxford Street and right. um, it was like a fucking franchise, but um, <laughs> of it, signs, the sign franchise. It, 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 was, it was very, very well known in, in Edinburgh, the golf sale. Sign and, and and so my first proper bit was about holding that, mm. and you know, obviously it was laughs of recognition, but it was it was a reasonably funny bit, I suppose. Um and there and um, years later I was doing it at a late show at the fringe, and these dudes at the front were like laughing, fucking. And I'm like, what, what's so funny, you know? And and they're like, his dad was the boss of the golf sale sign. So, and I'm like, you're fucking Jim Fox's son? And he's like, he's mortified this guy. And I was like, yeah. your fucking old man's a piece of shit, mate. He spent, <laughs> he spent your fucking inheritance in the pubic triangle at the lap dancing clubs, you know? I, sh- I felt bad <laughs> after because I, I said some nasty shit about his dad, which, which he probably fucking hated his dad more than anyone. But his dad was a cunt. And I told the story, I said, mate, I fucking charge at your old man with a fucking nine iron, you know? <laughs> Get fucking ten pounds out of the just tight. C- the Scro- he's a Scrooge a, cunt.
0: Just did a comedy show, just telling, telling all his dad's
1: secret to his son. Oh fucking yeah! Well, there you go. So poetic justice. Um, Weird.
0: That's. I mean, Edinburgh's is small. That, that thing. That seems like a small town thing. They
1: call it the village of Edinburgh. <laughs> the village of Edinburgh. Uh yeah. So that yeah it was quite an iconic job. That. Um, no. So wait, that, that's. I want to get and, your. I want to get your timeline
0: basically so yeah so
1: then i moved back after edinburgh after you almost a year home. in edinburgh then i finally went back to australia having uh traveled for a couple of years at that point oh no, no i didn't actually i oh, sorry i went to south america with a girl that i met in edinburgh and i was four months in south america as well right and then and then i completely like a fucking idiot spent every single cent that i'd saved at Airs rock so at that point i was flat broke spent all the money i'd saved, spent all the money i'd made whilst working mm. In the UK, and then uh, I went back to Melbourne. Uh, that's where I, I moved. I, I went straight to Melbourne. Um, my mother had remarried and moved to Canada. I didn't really have a family base uh, at that point, and um, fucking arrived in Melbourne penniless, man. And that was a tough six months. You know, I lived in a pub. I lived in a pub in North Melbourne on the corner of the markets, the Victoria Hotel, for six months. Fucking like yeah. working. I worked in, I worked in a warehouse. Oh, yeah. No, I lived in the pub. I worked in a warehouse out in Moorabbin. Uh Actually, I actually I fucking originally worked in a warehouse in um, what's that area? Springvale, man, like heroin central. The uh, it's the Melbourne equivalent of Cabramatta. Oh right, okay. And, and yeah, it was like rough fucking heroin area, full of Viet- Vietnamese dudes. The food was amazing. Um, and then yeah, and then I sort of slowly got 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 my feet back on the ground, and um, and then I lived in Melbourne for the next few, oh, and then about sort of six months in that's when I I hooked up with one of my mates from Ayers Rock and he got me into the roadie game and then for the next fucking four years I worked in rock and roll in Melbourne you know working on you know primarily um, big music stuff and yeah it was sick it was awesome Melbourne Melbourne was so fucking happening back then and um, what were, what were I've some been of in the... every fucking venue in Melbourne, every single venue in every single conceivable. What, what are some of the bands? Part yeah. of it. You know. Oh, you name it, man. Anyone who came through Melbourne from '99 till 2004, I was, I was probably there or you know all the big all the big shit and all the small stuff as well you name it man from barbara streisand the first ever gig at dockland stadium i was there to ricky martin bon jovi elton john bruce springsteen fucking you name it kiss acdc rolling stones do, do you, kylie do you have anything loads. to do with Pearl the, jam with like the
0: bands or is it quite you're kind of quite just depends mate them? it's
1: it's all um every every
0: like, it's like you're always curious always like different. the roadie like they get like the roadie and like yeah I get a beer. You like, got to understand
1: you know. like so so there's there's different levels of roadie. So what right. I really was was called local crew. So the touring crew comes, So big band like the Stones has probably got like 80 touring crew, big fucking big up big big ass crew. Yeah. Uh, whereas a band like Oasis probably just have about 12. Right. Maybe only 10 um and and so and then they get in the locals they get in a local crew of local dudes to to assist those touring guys right and at that time we we had a fairly good reputation um so we, we were fairly decent and then the best of the local crew get to do what they call show call and that means you actually work on the show during the show which not all the local crew get to do like most of the local crew will come unload the trucks help the touring crew put all the shit together then bang soon as like the you know what's need to be done done fuck off most of the local crew cuz it's costing a lot of money yeah of course and then they keep the three best guys or the four best guys and they stay on and do the show calls so with a big band like the rolling stones um or acdc or whatever so i would do show i did show call for those bands we would do all, like, say the Stones did five nights straight at Rod Laver Arena, I'd be there for all five nights. Right. So in that sense, you get closer, you get to see more, you get more, more behind the curtain, you know, you're in the catering every night with the touring crew. And, yeah, I had, you know, not you really not hanging out with the band, fucking having chats with them. Dude, it's the Rolling Stones. But I saw them, <laughs> you know, I saw them hanging around backstage. I saw Keith and Ronnie have an argument one night, you know um all that kind of shit with other band like dude i worked on foo fighters at festival hall um you know iconic old fucking festering hole they call it uh it's an old boxing venue that fucking the beatles played at. even uh, wow. but i did foo fighters at F- festival hall and you know dave Grohl sat next to me at catering with his mum and they sat right next to me and had their dinner and talked right in front of me and i'm like that that's not normal
0: that's but, weird. But, That's close. Yeah.
1: Because <laughs> like festival halls, like real small facilities. Dave Grohl's not pretentious. Yeah. What was, there.
0: what was his mum doing? she live in Melbourne? I don't or know, yeah. No, no. He, he, ta- he
1: takes his mum on tour. Yeah, they, I remember they were talking about... Um, Dave Grohl takes his mum on tour. They were talking about poetry, funnily enough. Yeah, he takes his mum on tour. She just wrote a book about fucking mothers of rock stars. It's meant to be really good. I can't remember what it's called, but she interviews other rock stars' mothers. Right, yeah, and even like not just rock stars, but like Dr. Dre's mom and shit. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's meant to be a real good Good, book. Good Dave Grohl
0: insight. Okay, Mm. so you've done the roadie thing, and then you've come back again to the UK. Uh, Then, yeah, then I
1: met a a Scottish girl in Melbourne, um, and then blah blah blah. Had a relationship with her. End up moving back over here on a working holiday maker visa, which I hadn't used up the first time because I was illegal the first time. And, um, <laughs> nice, good, like it, the old days. It was a lot easier back then. Getting getting in on
0: the boat, just wander through.
1: Yeah, and then um, yeah, I came back, and I I got into the local crew in Edinburgh. So I was doing that same shit in Edinburgh, but it was nowhere near as much fun, and there was nowhere near as much big gear. in Edinburgh. It was like most of the rock and roll stuff happened on Sundays and Mondays and shit, because um, Saturday, Sundays, as uh, Friday, Saturdays, they're doing big big places. Um, and then yeah, I worked as a I worked as a stagehand on the two thousand and three no two thousand and four Edinburgh Fringe was my first one working as a stagehand. And that's when I met Jamoan, um, the Irish Australian comic. And
0: yeah, superstar of Australian comedy, one he, of the he's a, one of the yeah, one of the yeah. big names, if you don't know, Jamoan for Australian comedy is like one of the first few. Yeah, yeah, he's he's
1: huge and he's a very, very good c- comic as well. Um and you know fuck I've so I've known him since 2004 and then he he uh I don't know we just met hanging out I met him at the Spiegel tent because my friend Brett Haylock used to manage the Spiegel tent friend from back home from mm. Adelaide from the 90s and um that's how I met Jamal and then Jamal was like oh you know where's your show and I was like I don't have a show I'm not a comedian and he was like oh fuck he goes mate you should do stand-up you know you're a funny guy and Wait, Jamoan told you to do stand He probably up. didn't mean it. He's probably front, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's good to have someone to blame, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's so, great
0: though. Jamoan to do it. I had like some guy that, that was my main
1: thing that pushed me because I, I had I, I had thought about it. I've been thinking about it. I had been watching a, a fair bit of stand-up at that point. And, um, and then I was like, okay, well, I've told Jamoan I'll do it. And I said, Jamoan, fucking next time I see you, I'll have done it. So I set myself like... It still took me about six months to get around to it. But February 2005, um, so about six months after the Fringe 2004, I did my first gig at the Stand Comedy Club February 2005. So that's 14 years ago now. Um, and then, yeah, and that was that. And then ever since, you know, I got into it. And done it.
0: And yeah. rose rose levels of Scottish Comedian of the Year.
1: I did uh, win that competition in two, back in 2010, yeah.
0: Now... As a very admittedly Australian person, yeah, does does that does that title not does it does it bother other people? I, at does the time, it,
1: it did. It was somewhat controversial and made the front page of Chortle, and I think the headline was "Booze as Australian Crown as Aussie Crown <laughs> Scottish comedian. No, it, 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 it wasn't popular on the night. It was a, it was a weird thing, man. Um, and maybe for various reasons maybe you know a lot of people probably booed because they just thought I wasn't the funniest right um, I, I know one of the other acts he had a lot of supporters there you know being his hometown Glasgow and everything it was a big venue back then like it's gotten a lot smaller that Scottish comedian of the year I, I think it was like fucking only half sold this year and but back then it was in a big you know uh, rock and roll venue carling academy there was like 800 people there but there was no heating and it was freezing right uh, okay no shit man like everyone was like Ugh, uh, uh. you could see, if you look at the photos of me when i win that you'll see i'm wearing a big coat on stage that's how cold it was There was like fucking right. fog coming off our breath it- but yeah people booed when i was announced the winner and Fucking people were chucking plastic cups and shit. It was, it was all. It was quite mad. I, it was a weird one. What a spectacle! And then, and then it all kicked off online as well, because Facebook was, yeah, Facebook. That was just
0: starting. Yeah, it was kind. It was the early day.
1: It was 2010.
0: Oh, 2010. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you started. It was about
1: December 2010.
0: 2010. Okay. Yeah, that that'll be Facebook peak years.
1: Yeah, and like so, there was all this shit and um. But a lot of a lot of the comedians who I'd come up with, uh, mo- pretty much all of them defended me. People like Mark Nelson and all these other dudes. You know, like the thing is, is I'd started there. I fucking lived there. Um, my style was probably Scottish because of the people I'd come up around.
0: But what what you would know. you what would you say is like a Scottish style there? Like,
1: um, oh, maybe that you know. Were you talking about Scottish stuff um, mostly? yeah oh yeah i had a lot of scottish content yeah definitely i was talking about living it because i lived in the shetland islands man that's the other thing my my girlfriend my scottish girlfriend she she worked in the shetland Islands. so i lived there for two years in the middle of fucking bumfuck nowhere on like a remote croft not even on the main island in shetland you had to catch another boat once like you
0: the, got the, there. the the tasmania of the shetland I had to catch, dude, you know, the little one
1: dude i just laugh at people when they talk about long journeys to gigs and all this like i ain't i no one can outdo me on that shit because <laughs> my first 2 years of stand up I right. lived as fucking remote as you can be in the British Isles. Yeah. I lived closer to Norway. Right? I lived on an island called Yell. <laughs> Yell. Right? An island called Yell which is in the Shetland archipelago. You had to catch <laughs> a 12 to 14 hour boat from Aberdeen. So I had to go to do a gig in fucking say Manchester, <laughs> I would have to leave my house in Yell, yeah. right? Drive 25 minutes country roads to a ferry. Catch a ferry 20 minutes over the channel onto the Shetland mainland. That's what it's called. Then drive 45 minutes Shetland mainland to the main town in Shetland, which is called Lerwick. Then catch a boat 12 to 14 hours from Lerwick to Aberdeen overnight. Only yeah. go, there's only one a day overnight. Overnight, yeah. Then from Aberdeen, Catch a couple of hours train to Edinburgh Glasgow yeah. and then another three, four hours down to Manchester. So by the time I got to... Because Ma- I, I remember that once showing up at the Frog and Bucket, there's dudes like Carl Donnelly were there going, oh, fuck, man, journey here was a nightmare, you know, because they come from London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking six hours on the M6. I'm like, dude, I've just spent 14 hours on the North Sea and then another <laughs> fucking eight hours, you know. So like, it used to regularly take me 24 hours to get get places for gigs. But that was an absolutely insane and unsustainable sustainable uh, <laughs> sort of way of living but i did that 14 hour ferry 42 times what and i would go so i would go to shetland for a couple of weeks and then i would spend a couple of weeks on you know on the british mainland and that's how i did the first two years of my comedy
0: and and can you, you were still going out with the girl. like you didn't just stick around yeah, yeah, yeah. on the but Shetlands? I mean, yeah, it
1: had it. You know, it took its fucking uh, toll. And then I went back to Australia for a visit while uh, during the time I lived in Shetland. And while I was there, I picked up some local. I went, rang up the local crew I worked for in Melbourne. This is two thousand and seven, hmm. or late two thousand and six. And I said, "Oh, look, I'm back home for fucking Christmas and stuff, but I, you know, could do with a bit of." work and they said no worries and uh they put me on the loading of little britain live the first show in australia of little britain live at rod laver arena and i worked with the british crew and obviously i'd been working with crews in britain so i kind of knew the british crew kind of vibe as well as the australian crew vibe and you know I, i was a decent i was a good worker back then, man i was a good local crew stagehand and and they said after that first show they said you're great, man. Fucking, want, what are you doing for the next two months? And I said, well, I'm meant to be going back to the UK. And they're like, oh, that's a shame because you could come on tour with us. Yeah. And so I went, fuck it. And I changed my plans. And um, so I, I toured Australia. Ironically, the biggest tour I ever did in Australia was a comedy tour, Little Britain Live. I toured seven weeks. Wow. And I went all over Australia with Little Britain Live doing a week in every major I didn't place. even
0: realize it did a live show. I just
1: thought oh, it was huge A huge live show, man. Really? Playing arenas in Sydney. We did Horton Pavilion, Sydney Entertainment Centre. Wow, uh, we did a week in Horndon, fucking few nights in Sydney Entertainment Centre, week at Rod Laver Arena, Melbourne, week in the Brisbane Conference Centre. Were,
0: were you were you there? Just trying to be like, you know, actually do a little bit of comedy. Uh, I got. I ed. became friends with. that. <laughs> I,
1: I didn't become pally with um, Williams and Lucas. David Williams is a fucking massive cunt, by the way. I've never <laughs> like the whole crew just hated him. I've never known another performer who was so hated by his crew. Like, it's just so so hated him so much. Um, he's quite a nasty quite a nasty person oh, is this I don't know what the legal implication but he it, mean, they'd been on the road with him for two years right they'd been touring Britain with them two for two years, years. Yeah, wow. yeah they made 27 million quid each those dudes out of that tour man so wow yeah, but, but they'd, they'd been stuck in tour buses touring every bumfuck provincial British place for two years and their big payoff was going to Australia and New Zealand right right but they fucking hated Williams by this point all of them every <laughs> single one of them hated him with a passion uh matt lucas less so he was you know he wasn't too bad um and but i but the other male actor in the show was called paul putner and he's a fucking lovely bloke and he used to do a bit of stand up he's mm. quite a well-known comedic actor in um england and i i told him i did stand up and we became you know buddyish, and he was real real nice to me and i i every year pretty much run into him in the loft bar at edinburgh and he'll just be up there doing a visit and he's always so cool man he always call me over you know he's usually drinking with some fucking big knob, yeah. fucking dudes. I don't know Phil McIntyre or whatever, and he's always like, "Oh, this is Roe. He toured Australia with us, and right. yeah, That's we always cool. yeah." I I had a big. I even though I was probably the lowest ranking dude on that tour, yeah. Um, you know I was the lowest set. I was called a set carpenter, but I was really doing the scenery changeovers and that. But I I was quite a um. You know I had a presence there anyway. I I played played a lot of pranks and had a good laugh. I was quite played
0: proud. a lot of pranks. Yeah, yeah, tour. we did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well give us what's a break? Oh, I, I fell
1: out with the fucking all the makeup and wardrobe girls. They used to do our laundry and then I fucking um oh, I fucking froze a cane toad on dry ice and what um, <laughs> in Brisbane and they fucking <laughs> refused to do uh oh, they never wash my laundry again.
0: What wait, just you to fuck with them, you just put it in your laundry.
1: Yeah, well, I told the Brisbane crew that I'd never seen a cane toad because I'm from South Australia, we don't have them. So they brought one in an ice cream container and then they go to me now yeah, to be a proper fucking Queenslander, mate. You got to kill one.
0: <laughs> so I was
1: like, okay, you know, I'm like cane toad. It's a fucking cane toad, mate. I grew up with a father who loved yeah. to shoot anything that was introduced well, species.
0: Sorry, we should just say the cane toad, for anyone who doesn't know, um, was introduced yeah introduced in from Queensland to get rid of the cane snack
1: what's that cane beetle the cane beetle yeah but it couldn't it couldn't reach the cane beetle uh. because because the sugarcane grew differently in Australia it grew higher right and in South America it could reach the cane beetle cuz the and and in Australia it couldn't so it just then started eating everything else and it's poisonous and
0: yeah it's like a plague and you can't get rid of it
1: i think you're like meant to fu- it's like compulsory to kill one if you fu- yeah you're supposed to yeah. it's good for the environment so yeah. we, we had dry ice backstage for the smoke machines. So that's the most humane way to kill it. So I, I had, it was like, I was like a primary school child. I had this cane toad in an ice cream <laughs> container. I went into the makeup and wardrobe girls and I went, look what I've got. Yeah. And they go, oh my God, yeah. what are you going to do with it? And I said, we're going to kill it. <laughs> and like, no. And we're like, it's a fucking cane toad. Yeah. And then we'll be we'll be so childish because all the all the other set carpenters we were going, the toad must die. The toad (laughs) must die, right? And they're going, Don't you dare kill that toad. And for some reason, even though all the other dudes were in on it, I became the ringleader and I procured the dry ice. And so the girls were on the minibus to go back to the hotel after the show and I'm on the outside of it and I go, look what I've got, girls. And they go, no, no. And I take the lid off the ice cream container, pour the dry ice onto the toad and they're all freaking out, banging the fucking window of the minivan. And there's just this smoke rising. And then I pour the thing out and it's like a frozen solid cane toad and we start kicking it around on the concrete floor of the backstage area. Because the minibus parked backstage, right? Yeah. And they all flipped out, man. They treated it like I'd fucking drowned a kitten, you know? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And it's like this filthy fucking introduced species that kills everything. Yeah. And it and yeah, they, they frosted me out after that, man. They, they that was enough. They wouldn't wash my clothes, nothing, You're man. You're
0: telling me that like kicking around a cane toad in front of them was too much?
1: You kill one fucking reptile I mean, for amusement.
0: Toads, reptiles?
1: I don't know amphibian. I think
0: it's amphibian. I don't know okay. my reptile. I don't
1: know. Amphib-
0: I wasn't sure. Cold blooded. Mm. Cold
1: blooded. Cold blooded. You got hey, Dave
0: Chappelle. I'm yeah, got to do Rick it. Rick James, bitch. Oh man.
1: Uh, did you know Rick James was in a band with Neil Young?
0: I did not know Rick James in a band mm, with Neil Young in
1: the seventies in Canada. Yeah, cra- That's a crazy crossover. I,
0: I like. I like that with you. If there, if there, this lull that you were so afraid of happening in the conversation, That was like a hint of a lull, and you just yeah. dropped a fact in. I mean, obviously, you're in the Shetlands, like, cause of the relationship, like, you kind of had to live there. Yeah, I guess that was like part of the deal going yeah. back. Yeah, but like, and then just kept you kept you Scottish. No temptation to go anywhere else. No temptation. I lived to... in Manchester
1: for a few years. Oh, okay. Yeah, after because I broke up with my girlfriend. You know, at the end of the day, the comedy did sort of. You know, it was just too much of a pressure. You know, she didn't start going out with a comedian; wasn't what she signed up for. And she was a school teacher, mate. So it's like she's working Monday to Friday, and then I'm fucking off every weekend. And yeah, know, and something had to give, you know. Unfortunately,
0: I think I think that's um a pretty common thing with comedy. Like people rarely stay with the person they were with before they got into comedy. Like if if that kind of happens in the course of a relationship, because you do have to kind of sign up
1: to it. It was hard. It was hard and all, you know, and then, and I kind of wanted, yeah, I mean, eventually like becoming single after five years in a relationship, you know, my first, yeah, I I enjoyed being single for a period of of my, you know, doing the comedy and just being able to do whatever the fuck I wanted, getting, you know, getting more female attention than I I had been used to up to that point, I suppose, for a few years. It's gone now. It's gone. It's over? (laughs) Pretty much. You always get, you can always get hero pussy, you know what I mean? But like hero pussy. the thing is, a really a good looking male comedian can get laid even if they're not funny. But a dude like me, you got to slay, slay, slay. <laughs> and if you really slay, you can always get hero pussy, man. Because you know, um, I think there's a certain type of woman who finds a man on stage attractive if they're if they're if they're funny, if they're dominating, if they're know, dominating. If they're, yeah, they they I think they like that.
0: If they're a power
1: control, but that's the only place I'm have any power or control. You know, off stage I'm a fucking shambles. So they they soon th- see through that shit. Right, okay.
0: So it's, like it's just <laughs> in that moment, in that time when he was on the stage with the microphone with the loud voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think that's more more so here than in Australia? Do you think that's everywhere?
1: Oh, I think I think comedians are higher status in Britain. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like in Australia there's always like this sort of like pitying look like, "Oh my god, and do you, what do you what's your other job or?" Yeah. Like here <laughs> comedians do have higher status and Yeah, there's some people ask here oh, how much do you make or this that and the other, but I think there's a because comedy club culture is massive here and and there's, you know, 20 comedians at least that are multi-millionaires. Um,
0: it's, it's not to be pitied here. It's not Nowhere like, near as much, no. It's like, oh, do you play my favorite club? Do you You've do definitely got theme? more
1: status here for sure. I, I think so, yeah.
0: Yeah. I think in Australia it's kind of like, oh, so like you're going to do like a movie or a TV thing, right? Like you want to act. Yeah. You're doing you're doing this thing to pay the bills between the acting and it's like, no, no.
1: That's that's the shitty thing in a way, is that, you know, fucking hell man. It's like every literally every other job under the sun pays more in Australia. Like you could clean toilets or fucking weld or fucking lay bricks or teach or whatever. Everything pays more in Australia except for comedy. Yep. And it's like fact. Fuck. So that's so and everything's really crazy expensive and that's the one big thing that's changed in the time I've been here like I go back to Australia now and everything's so expensive man even um, even in Adelaide or like even, yeah, even in to the me hometown? it's like everything it's like 3 times more just Shit like cans of Coke and Snickers bars are like three times more, dude. Is that, is that a, is that a big amount of yeah? Oh, well, whatever. Outlet. It's an easy. It's an easy. <laughs> con, you know, it's an easy comparison to make. No,
0: I just like when people do like the comparison between things. It's just like, yeah, man. You know, how much you got to pay for a Snickers in Australia, and I'm like, well, that's like a three times a year expense, <laughs> right? Like well, it's gonna no, no. I'm just, I'm not making fun of you. to say I do it as well because, like here, it's just kind of like, man, just a cup of coffee in London. It's just like, yeah, but just drink instant. Stop, stop it.
1: Well, there's some things that are. I mean, con- you
0: you did force me to leave the house to get you a proper coffee. Well, you would you not said cop an instant coffee. I mean, you. I I you said I want a black coffee. I was I was ready to go. Yeah, with it. not instant. a black
1: instant roast. This isn't jail, <laughs> man. What the fuck, dude? You know? Do they get that in jail? Maybe I've be alright. Yes, in jail. that's what everyone slings in jail. Jail's all about coffee now because they can't smoke anymore. So the big trade is in instant coffee, and they sell it in bindles, dude. And like, so the what? dudes that don't drink coffee, they sell fucking coffee in bindles. And yeah. like yeah, like little plastic wraps of coffee, and that's the trade. It used to be cigarettes, but they can't fucking smoke in there anymore. Wait, then allowed to smoke in jail? That's right. like banned. Are they that's, the that's, vape? Yeah. they're actually they're bringing in va- in UK. They're bringing in vapes for prisoners now. Get the fuck yeah. out of here! Yeah, that is.
0: Such niche knowledge. This is why I am mm. really wanted to have you on this for factoids like oh, that. I'm, I'm no obsessed one knows with jail that.
1: shows and shit, man. I watch so many fu- I've watched that many fucking jail shows. I've done the equivalent of an eight stretch. In- <laughs> the world's toughest prisons. Oh, yeah. you got to see
0: those on YouTube every now and again. Just, check, yeah. just to check it out. Just to check in. See where they're at. What That's else it.
1: were we... Um, oh, can I just say something on a on a random note? Of that, sure. Uh, with Australia... Because Ali G, right? Yes, um big comedy character arguably the most successful Sa- comedy character in recent times Sasha
0: Baron Cohen's biggest character How much oh, of that
1: fucking yeah. character did he lift off of Norman Gunston I'm telling you bro Who's Norman Gunston Oh my god Who are these what are Norman these references Norman Gunston was this fucking amazing comedy character by Gary McDonald in Australia who um and he it was a very similar thing you know Norman Gunston yeah, and he, he played oh. this hapless journalist who would pose as a real journalist and interview right. big people like Paul McCartney, fucking shit like that. You interview the Beatles and shit. And uh, man, but he would involve him. He was involved as a journalist in real, real-time events. Like he was there for Gough Whitlam's dismissal, right. but he's doing it in comedy character. Oh wow! Asking, yeah, but but straight faced and yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I honestly think um, Ali G fucking I reckon Ali G saw that and lifted, All right. lifted well, look, the idea. That's
0: another for the footnote. Yeah, Ro, Ro Campbell giving you check your, out Norm- uh, check material. out
1: uh, Norman Gunston man because really the Norman Gunston highlights are quite incredible, particularly the dismissal of Gough Whitlam being there for this major, probably uh, the biggest political event in Australia's history. Yeah, definitely. Um, and he was right there in character. Right, just play, yeah, playing man. his part. Yeah. Never breaks. I can't believe you've never seen Norman Gunson. Dude, I'm
0: significantly younger than you. I don't know.
1: And I'll tell you another, um, I'll tell you who this is a crossover with because um, uh, in terms of influencing uh, mo- modern. St- I think I was going to start this before, but I-, I lost my way. So I think the two sort of godfathers of what's become, you know, became alternative comedy, they call it in Britain. Right. So after the mainstream sort of working man club shit in the 70s. Um, it sort of gradually changed. I think Billy Connolly had a big effect on that. And obviously he's pretty global and he had an effect on Australia. You know, everyone in Australia so had Billy Connolly records.
0: You'd consider Billy Connolly alternative
1: comedy for definitely, him? Definitely, 100%. He's telling stories. So, so
0: what's why don't we just, you know, do the
1: divide? Cause but I, I think the other big one is Connolly was definitely um, al- an alternative comic. During, yeah. You know, he wasn't telling jokes. He was talking about his life yeah right and making it funny and um and you know and he and he was going into dark territory as well especially back then criticizing the church fucking all kinds of crazy shit uh but the other big one who funnily enough got his start in australia really is dave allen dave allen the talk show host
0: i know dave allen and yeah he
1: started in australia right um and then he moved back over here and he's also like credited you know this isn't ne- necessarily an independent thought of mine i've a lot of comedians agree, but he he also had that big show that everyone used to watch, and he also used to tell stories and 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 go near the edge with the top with the with the subject material, and and he's also quite widely considered to have had a big influence on um, alternative stand up comedy.
0: Okay, so just just for the people who aren't probably as aware of comedy history as most. You're saying like the working man's clubs. That was people doing jokes, like you know, essentially. Yeah, doing, mother-in-law jokes and racist like this, jokes and the shit same like jokes that. as well. Like they, they yeah, do like yeah, the, sharing the, jokes, sharing and yeah. yeah, all that. And then they, and shit. then Connolly and Allen, they've kind of come along and made it personal, definitely. 100%. And that was the start of alternative comedy here.
1: Uh, I'll, def, I'll, I'll, I stand by that. Yeah, right, okay. Not
0: just because I, I know that I've also here people talked about like I kind of it's like a almost like a second wave alternative comedy. With guys like Arthur Smith.
1: Oh, that was a thing you said on that podcast I listened to. Yeah, Arthur Smith is a legend, of course. Yeah. Um, uh, but um, But y- you said, oh, we don't have that culture in Australia. In Britain, you have like second generation comedians and we don't have that in Australia. Yeah. So I actually was curious to know whether that was true. So I put a post on the hood which is an Australian comedy forum. Oh, okay. And uh, I come up with six fucking I don't, I don't second even, generation comedians. I don't even know this
0: forum. The Hood. The Hood,
1: yes. Yeah, the Melbourne Comedy Forum. Ah. Oh. Um, oh, The Hub.
0: <laughs> the Hub. The Hood. The Hood, okay.
1: Yeah. The Brotherhood. Uh, it was uh, set up in memory of uh, the late, great Dave Grant. Right. Rest in peace. Great man. Um, Here we but go. There, there's a whole number of them. Uh, of course, you got Marty Fields, son of Maury. No. Never heard of him Murray, You know who Maury Fields is No Fucking dude man You millennials what? Maury Fields is like The old school joke Teller type guy Right okay. And he was on Hey Hey at Saturday Okay So everyone in Australia Knew him Well his son Marty Fields Is a comedian And He's got sort kind of gone very much his father's way. He, he does old jokes but pretends they're his, I think. Sure. He cracked the shits at me one night at the Comics Lounge because I for, I was hosting. Yeah. I, I forgot to plug his joke book that he sells after the show. Oh, wow. Well. <laughs> so and he, go, he comes backstage and goes, I made $300 fucking dollars less than last night, mate, because he forgot to plug me book say, thanks. <laughs> and I'm like, sorry, man, I'm not used to plugging fucking like the joke, joke book
0: books. is it like um, is it just a collection of jokes or did he supposedly write all the jokes uh, like what's the what's no the, the,
1: it's fucking yeah they're all nicked no but I just not, mean
0: like is he saying like jokes by Marty Field here's a thousand well of them. he
1: might be but they're not his they're old oh, yeah. they're old fucking jokes um, there's a couple of others, Steve Allison, apparently his father's a comedian, still doing gigs at age 78, Shane right. Bourne's father, you know, Shane Bourne, he I was know also Shane on, he was also Bourne, on yeah. Hey Hat Saturday, his father was a comedian, right. uh, then you've got Fiona O'Loughlin, whose daughter's a comedian, um, there's a dude, there's a couple of others as well, someone wrote, uh, I didn't write it down actually, but someone else said there was one where the son started doing stand up. Yeah. And then the dad started doing stand-up after the sun. This is in Melbourne. Yeah. And then the dad did Raw. Right. The heat of Raw. Came off, started feeling unwell, collapsed and died. Backstage what? at Raw. I'm fucking swear to God, man. That's nuts. I know. It's pretty fucking crazy. Sorry if that's your family member out there triggering... Jeez, what Mm. the dad? I was gonna say. So you got to remember, like Australia does have a comedy history. I mean, it's different because we're a fucking isolated frontier place. But you know, we had a music hall type here. Obviously, stand up started. You know, its origins are in the music halls and all that kind of thing. And if you're traveling around Britain and you you should check out some of the old music halls because they're amazing places. There's a good one in Leeds. There's a crazy old one in Glasgow, the Britannia Panopticon. Um, there's a couple in London, uh, that you can go and check out that are still, I can't remember their names, but Andre Vincent's the guy to talk to. He's an expert in all that old musical shit, but we had a similar type thing in Australia. Musicals. Yeah. M- musical variety stuff. And, um, and you know, there were, that was the precursor to stand up in Australia as well, I would say. Right. And one of the biggest acts was from Adelaide. His name was Roy, Reen. Roy Rean. Roy Rean. Yeah. He had a character called Mo whose catchphrase was strike me lucky. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Uh, I love that Australian shit. And there's
1: We have like a statue of him in Adelaide, but he was like a fucking Dutch Jew who got into the um, musical stuff real young and then he moved to Sydney. He was a big star, man. He was huge. He was in films, fucking everything. Roy Rean. Roy Rean. Strike me lucky. It's it's Roy, R-E-N-E, and I'm not sure if it's pronounced Rennie or...
0: Yeah, so what what draw what draws you to doing gigs in all these different places? Like- it just
1: happened, really. I mean, it was like I I guess I because I think I started to be ready to do those gigs around about the time that it became uh, more of a possibility, right? And there were certainly guys doing it fucking long before me, but um, you know, guys like Craig Campbell and Glenn Wool uh, spring to mind were were doing you know international stuff. You know, a long time ago, um, but I came in. I think you know because I think I started doing international stuff around about two thousand and ten, right? Probably, yeah, and um, no, that's not true actually. Probably two thousand. I remember I went to Estonia with Damien Clark in t- ten years ago in two thousand and nine because right. I was there. Yeah. Anyway, fucking whatever.
0: Um, so, what, what's what's the appeal? And I doing just, that? I think,
1: I, I don't know, I want. I think I got a little bit of a rep as being like flat, like I'm quite flexible, so I can work in different. Um, you know, some British acts become so British that all their references are British. or Some acts just struggle to adapt to different type of environments. Right, and I I feel like I thrive in that, and I have a lot of material that I feel like only works in those kind of international gigs. And so and I've built up a bank of that and I like to go and do those gigs so that I can do that stuff and it's funny, I could do that shit in a club here and it probably wouldn't fly that good. But I go over there and it flies better. So
0: is it stuff about the UK? Like what's it about? Like I mean I've you... written
1: a lot of stuff in different countries, so and I keep those on file, you know. So I go Viet- got jokes for those Vietnam countries: Vietnam file, Malaysia file, India file, <laughs> you know what I mean? You you end up building up that stuff. So um but yeah, Yeah, I've performed in a lot of different countries all around Europe. Um, And I've seen it, you know, some places you're playing to a lot of locals, like in Scandinavia, you know, you're often playing. And and Netherlands, you're playing. I I go to the Netherlands every year. That's probably one of my favorite places. Yeah. And, uh, you know, because the Dutch will speak good English, same as Scandinavia. But then if you go on to like, you know, like when you're doing gigs in, like in the Alps or Switzerland or whatever you're playing ma- mainly expats or international people very international people yeah sure um, so
0: have you noticed like does the material have to change like do you have to like with the level of English like with I mean obviously references I think obviously they need to switch uh, yeah I mean like, you, you
1: obviously you you become a adept, adept at uh, speaking a bit more clearer and you know getting rid of your slang terms and all that kind of thing uh, you know sometimes it's a Trial and error. I mean, I've been to India three times at a comedy. The first time, um, I suffered such a spectacular death. And I was doing well, man. I was, you know, I was probably killing really for 15 minutes. And then I started doing this bit that I was doing at the time about David Hicks, the guy from Adelaide who ended up in Guantanamo Bay. And it was a bit that really used to kill here, but... Mm. It was like some something about, I don't know, and I got the one of the worst heckles I've ever had because I was dying so hard talking about this guy in Guantanamo Bay. Yeah. And this like sort of well-off, well-spoken Indian guy just yelled out, take a break, buddy. <laughs> and I was like, fuck. And um, I come off and the promoter was like, man, he was like, you know, Indians, they, they don't want to hear this fucking – and this might be – this is probably different now because the Indian – Indian comedy probably more than anywhere has exploded. It's a huge market. Yeah, There's so many comedians in India. I probably have about a hundred on my Facebook. I have so many Indian comedians on my Facebook. But back then it was more new, mm. and I'm talking this is about 2010. And uh, he was like, Indians don't want to hear so much about you know grim realities. We got enough sh- problems. You know they. Want yeah, more. right. Whether or not that was true, but I did take that on board. Uh, Drop that bit. And then and uh, you know, from then on the the shows were a lot better. And I was working with a guy then called Anavab Pal, and I think he's been in London recently, but he's so shit hot, man. And that yeah. was the other thing, they had me closing over him on the first night, and I said, listen man, fucking stick anavab on, I'll open. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Stick Anavab on and and that was way better then.
0: Oh man, it was uh, It's like don't yeah.
1: stick me on last just because I'm the white guy, because yeah you know.
0: like, I think I think Australia definitely like had a kind of small country mindset and mm. i think that shifted recently it's like no i'm not coming here to be a bartender i'm coming here to be a fucking lawyer like yeah. what well, what's the difference well there
1: were probably always some people that did that uh you know you like your classic you like your jermaine greer's and your clive james's mm. um but yeah i don't know suppose we've grown up we more sensible fuck knows that's what i was gonna say do you think we have like i don't but- know i mean some people are, are, are utilizing their um dual citizenship yeah um so that you know so that makes sense like it's like me i did both i i went as a backpacker and then came back right
0: um with the visa but you have heritage yeah. as well no no, no. okay uh, so you're
1: on. on a visa yeah yeah um i got my visa through through my relationship right yeah um and then i did my time and then and then I get to keep the visa. So I've got my visa doesn't even exist anymore. I don't think it's called indefinite leave to remain. Or if it exists, you have to, you only had to do five years in the UK to get IDLR, and now you have to do 20. Whoa! i know, Twenty. I was lucky, but I I should have I should have become I I'm eligible to become a British citizen, obviously after this long, but the price has gone so much more. So I could have done it for like seven hundred quid a few years back, yeah, and now it's gone up to like a couple of k. I think so. I'm really, like, I, know, I can't Just be bothered.
0: Everything getting jacked up. Yeah, on the price of the price of the Alvesa would would it. Would you want to? Oh, that, just be not should... it gives
1: me security. If I ever stay away for longer than 2 years, I get I get the boot, man.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah. So when you get that, would you have like any kind of ideological reason for not doing it? Like some people take their citizenship and all that stuff quite well, can seriously. can still be Australian. Yeah, I know. But like with like the double, like I don't want to be a British citizen. Rah, oh, like. no,
1: I'd see very If it was free and it was easy. That was the other thing. When I when I started filling in the forms, it was like I'd had too many absences. They're very right. strict on how much time you spend out of the country. And obviously with the doing comedy all over the place in the last few years, I've spent good part of the year in Australia and all that. Yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd actually been absent too much to qualify. Okay. Um, so I would have to have a, a period of... It's something like you can't have had more than hundred and thirty days absent in the last two years, which wow, that's not yeah, yeah I, that's not very long. No, I quite often have that in one year. Yeah, one hundred thirty days. Yeah. I mean, I used up a whole passport in two years, uh, my last one. Well, you
0: finished your passport in a two years, <laughs> whole fucking thing. That's nuts. Mm. That's a lot of moving around. I've been through fucking four passports
1: as a comedian. That's. That's got to be some kind of record. That's a lot of passports. You got to remember that we Aussies get a stamp every fucking place we go in Europe. And the, oh and the right Br- of and course the Brits don't, you know. Speaking Plus, of like- I go to I do comedy in all these fucking weird places like Vietnam, Cambodia and I have like a like the poorer a country the bigger their visa stamp is. <laughs> so like Cambodia and Vietnam use a whole page yeah and I've been to both those countries like six seven times I've actually
0: money. I've actually got a Cambodian thing yeah, yeah I so know exactly like half what my mean. passport is fucking Cambodian uh, Vietnamese visa bigger the, the bigger the stamp except for except for America or maybe that's just an indication that America is a poorer country than we think true ominous morally poor my friend <laughs> um speaking of i gotta i gotta shoot man i gotta pick up my passport i gotta I'm fl- oh you do yeah i'm flying i'm flying tomorrow to get a new
1: passport where are you going estonia oh you're going to estonia oh yeah estonia me. tomorrow well they're right at the uh they're right on the uh the you know if if, it, if there's a world war they're right there on the they, they, they'd they be nervous those guys man because they got fucking russia there yeah i think there's a lot of activity happening there they, I, I imagine the americans have a presence in estonia Maybe I mean, they oh, I'll any, ask. I'll let them know. Yeah, they had the big singing revolution. That's what they did. They, they, the Russians were there, and then they, they all hundreds of thousands of Estonians fucking gathered and sang Estonian folk songs so badly that the Russians like had their fingers in their ears going, "When will these cunts stop singing this shit?" And I've, and then they left. That's get and they, get out of here. It's called the singing revolution. The singing revolution. Like, Please stop. And they're like, "These fucking, they're not going to stop. Let's just go." <laughs> Good way to do
0: it. Famous. Good way to go about it. All right. Roe Campbell, anything anything you want, where, want the people uh, to you see you somewhere? A few, a
1: few articles I've written on Music Republic Magazine. Uh, if you Google my name and Music Republic Magazine. Um, haven't put one out for a couple of months because I don't know, they wouldn't publish my last one for legal reasons, which kind of pissed me off because I put a lot of work into it. Um, I wrote an article about that Jamal Khashoggi fucking Saudi oh, Arabian yeah. okay. guy being killed and the editor was like, Flipping out about it being so I think he was being paranoid He was like We could get killed For publishing this And I'm like Dude No we won't <laughs> Like You're not that important We're not that important I mean Fuck it I wouldn't go to Saudi Arabia Anytime soon <laughs> but.
0: So there's my chat with Ro, obviously a true king, a legend of the game, a man who has been in entertainment in so many different forms for so many years, you can't help but enjoy chatting to him. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode, as always, if you did, please do subscribe, no matter where you're listening, there's always a way to subscribe, that way you know every time an episode comes out, which is on a Monday, UK time at some point, um i'll catch you guys next week We've got some really fun guests coming up We're excited for that as always get in touch if you want to at dan muggleton instagram and twitter muggleton daniel at gmail.com and if you like me if you like me in this maybe have a crack at my stand-up comedy special it is called daniel muggleton let's never hang out it's available from my website there's a direct link there Or you can just look it up on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Vimeo, Amazon. It's bloody everywhere. So Daniel Muggleton, let's never hang out. It would be cool. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. It was recorded before I came to the UK when I was a young boy with, you know, wide eyes and a tan. Because in Australia, you just tan. You don't have to try. All right, guys. Good chatting to you. I'll see you next Monday. Keep wrapping your ears around the Union Jack off. Cheers. <laughs>